Good morning again, church. Matthew 5, starting in verse 1. Matthew 5, verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. As His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. When people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. John Chrysostom was maybe the greatest preacher who ever lived. I know that's kind of hard to believe, but... He was preaching one time on the Sermon on the Mount, preached by who was definitely the greatest preacher who ever lived. But he was preaching on this text. He was actually not preaching on the Beatitudes, but he was preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And he's preaching along in his church in Constantinople, and he's just preaching so well that the audience just spontaneously rises to its feet in applause and just bursts into applause, can't contain themselves. And John looks down from the pulpit and his face gets twisted and he says to them, this clapping for me is praise, he says. If you praise what is said, but do not do what you praise, then the punishment is greater and the accusation is more severe. For us preachers, it is shame and ridicule that you would stand and clap. Uh, for the record, I won't do that. <clears throat> if, if you feel the need to clap this morning, I'll just do what seems appropriate, maybe a bow or a salute, encore sermon, maybe. I'm sure you all want to be here a long time this morning. You're not looking forward to today's nap, so I'll do whatever seems appropriate. But what he said is worth paying attention to as we start this series, Blaze, which is about what it means to live into our identity as the light of the world. What he's saying is that a sermon is not designed to entertain you, it's designed to change you. Any sermon, including Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, that this Sermon on the Mount is about what to do and, and really even more so who to be, who to be. Jesus wants to change us into the light of the world. That's true of all of the Sermon on the Mount, except for the Beatitudes, this section that we just read. The Beatitudes are not primarily about what to do. They're not even about who to be. They're just about what is. Or, or we might say, this is just the way things are. It turns out, fortunately, that you and I are experts in things just as they are. Just the way things are, that happens to be something we're really good at because we kind of became experts the moment we were born into this world, right? 
This world's pretty predictable, not in, not in every way, not in terms of everything that happens, but it is certainly predictable in terms of who ends up on top and who ends up on bottom, right? Your kid's right in the back seat and looks out on something unfortunate out the window and you shrug and they say, why? And you say, well, that's just the way things are, as though that answer's answer enough, right? So you and I know as experts in just the way things are, we know in this world who is blessed, right? In fact, take a moment for a second and, and fill in this fill in the blank statement here. Blessed are the blank. I mean, how, how would you fill that out? Not, not, your, not your church answer, your, your normal answer, everyday answer. How would you fill that out? I mean, honestly. Blessed are the what? Maybe it looked like this. I came across this while reading for the sermon. Struck me. Maybe it looked like this. Blessed are the rich in things, in self-assurance. Blessed are those who are untouched by loss. Blessed are the powerful. Blessed are those who are realistic about righteousness, compromising at every turn. Blessed are those who demand and exact an eye for an eye, and blessed are those crafty and opportunistic folks. Blessed are those bold enough to make war. Blessed are those who, doing good things, receive many accolades. Blessed are those who, following Jesus, are widely praised and adored. That does seem to make a bit more sense than, than what Jesus says. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Luke's version says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek, or those who are powerless. Blessed are those who mourn, or those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are those who are lacking, he's saying. Blessed are those who are merciful, and blessed are those who are pure and peacemakers and persecuted. We know those people exist, we just don't typically call them blessed. I, I think it's, it's that word that's so troubling about the Beatitudes, or at least so problematic, blessed. Because if you look at the Beatitudes, most of the promises in the Beatitudes are future tense. They will inherit the earth. They will be filled. They will be comforted. But the blessing is now they are blessed, those people, now. It's like Jesus is doing something weird with time, something kind of cosmic and eternal that doesn't make a lot of sense. You know what does make sense? This picture on Facebook of the whole family gathered around the Christmas dinner table, and there's heaps of food on the table, and everybody's leaning in, smiling really big. And there's no empty seats this year. No empty seats. And underneath is this short caption, hashtag blessed. That makes more sense, doesn't it? 
Or this picture of this 16-year-old girl who's running out into the driveway on the morning of her birthday and her dad's beaming in the background as she gets to her brand new car and it says, hashtag blessed. Or this, this older fella who's just bought that new RV he's waited his whole life for and he's about to set off in his retirement to visit all the national parks. And underneath that picture, it says, hashtag blessed, right? That makes sense. Or that, that picture, and I've taken this picture of this new mom kissing her baby boy in the hospital bed. He's swaddled in the hospital linens. He's still, he hasn't started crying yet, although he will, right? And underneath it says, hashtag blessed. Those make sense. I'll tell you, my family and I, we're, we are still struggling to make sense of my father-in-law's accident. It may never make sense to us. He had gone up into the attic to get the Christmas supplies down before the grandsons got there. Wanted to turn the house into a winter wonderland for the boys. He'd probably been in that attic a thousand times. He had stood on that plywood floor a hundred times and he had gotten down that Christmas tree from that same shelf in that same spot at least a dozen times. And for whatever reason, that plywood broke and he fell backwards and then kept falling down to the kitchen floor. You know, he was a police officer for 40 years. So my mother-in-law and my wife and her sister spent 40 years wondering every night if their dad was gonna come home, right? 40 years. And he did every one of those nights. And it was this one just seemingly insignificant, inconsequential moment in his own house, in his own attic and kitchen floor that his whole life has been spiraling towards unknown to him and now will forever be marked by, right? This one moment, paralyzed, paralyzed. The word, that word just doesn't make sense to us. In all of this, I'll tell you, and this may be my lack of faith, it did not occur to me once, especially in those first days in the hospital, to take a picture of him curled up on the bed the hospital bed, post it online, and say, hashtag blessed. It just didn't occur to me. So I was struck the other day preparing this sermon. And I'm traveling back and forth between Dallas and here, and, and truth be told, I'm not probably totally mentally present in either place. And I'm just crying out to God, like, give me a word to say about these Beatitudes, because I think every time I read them, they make less sense to me. And so I just happen to read the verses that come right before the Beatitudes. Have you ever noticed this? This is Matthew 4, starting in verse 24. So right before the Sermon on the Mount starts, news about him, Jesus spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Immediately after, it's these crowds that Jesus speaks the sermon to there on the mountain. Do you notice who's there? The paralyzed are there. Only he heals them, which to me does seem like a tremendous blessing. 
especially now. Only then he speaks the Beatitudes over them as though he has not healed them at all. It would make sense to us if he said, blessed are the paralyzed. Well, blessed are the formerly paralyzed who I've now healed. That'd be something easy to take a picture of, post it online, say hashtag blessed. This guy didn't walk. Now he walks. Blessed. But he doesn't say that. He says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted. He totally disregards the fact that he has just healed these people and speaks as though he has not. As, as though he's saying, being healed in this life doesn't begin to touch the hem of the garment of what I mean when I say that you are blessed. I can't really help but wonder if Jesus means that. I mean, if in this life you do not receive the blessing that you most desire, are you still blessed? To see what I mean, you really need to only look at the four first Beatitudes, the first four and the last two. The ones in the middle actually make a bit more sense. So, Blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. That, that kind of makes sense. If you're a merciful person, you'll generally receive more mercy. And if you're a pure person or a peacemaker, those things typically work out for good, sometimes bad, but, but mostly good. But at the others, look at them for a second. Would you, would you? Poor in spirit, mourning, meek, hungry, thirsty, persecuted, insulted. If, if, you, if you were to trace these words through the Old Testament, you'd see that often they're used interchangeably. So poor in spirit means meek and persecuted means grieving. So basically Jesus is describing this one person and you can see the person. Maybe you are the person. This person who is following God with everything they have and in one moment all of that is ripped away and they are undone, they are unraveled by the world, they are laid bare, they are barely hanging on, and Jesus at that moment says, you are blessed. We don't, we don't naturally rise to our feet and start clapping when Jesus starts the sermon. We hear that word blessed, and we see the pictures of the people that Jesus assigns that word to. And we think, either Jesus, you know something we don't know, or you mean something we don't mean when we say the word blessed. Uh, in Germany many years ago, the monastery of St. Anthony commissioned a new altarpiece, which is a, a piece of artwork to kind of sit right behind the lectern. So it'd be a pulpit right where everybody's looking. And um, so you can kind of imagine right in the middle of the worship space, right where every eye is cast, the duration of the service is this new piece of artwork. And I was gonna show you a picture of the artwork, but uh, since we don't have Kingdom Kids today, it's just a little too brutal for, for young kids. So I'm not gonna do it, you're just gonna have to imagine it. You can look it up, it's called the Eisenheim Altarpiece. Uh, it was kind of like the movie, The Passion of the Christ before The Passion of the Christ the most brutal crucifixion scene ever painted, they say. 
And it's really two images. The top is an image of Jesus, and he's hanging on the cross. And his, bo- his body is, is twisted and emaciated. His ribs are bulging out. <clears throat> and his, and, and his, his skin is almost green. He is so ill and sick. And it's pockmarked his skin with boils and lesions. And if you look closely, there are splinters of wood sticking out from his flesh. And his feet are twisted in this unnatural position. And the snail is driven deeply into them. It's a horrific thing. It's hard to imagine that being what everybody looks at during worship each week. And then beneath that is this image of Jesus. And his body is now mangled And he's being laid on the stone in the tomb. And that's the image below the crucifixion image. So again, that's really hard. Like that would would be a hard thing. It's very different than this cross right here. That'd be a hard thing to look at each week. Except, let me let me tell you about the people that worshipped at St. Anthony's. St. Anthony's, like many monasteries, was was kind of a hospital. And they treated what what we might call ergotism. I'm not a doctor, but basically it's a gangrenous infection. And it turns your skin black and blue and green. You get boils all over. And to prolong your life, what the doctors would do was amputate one limb after another. So those are the people who are wheeled in, carried in, crutch into the auditorium at St. Anthony's for worship every week. And the the Eisenheim altarpiece is really unique in that it's built on these hinges. And so when the worshipers would come in, the monks would close two of the doors. And when those doors were closed, one of those doors, if you can imagine Jesus in the top image hanging like this, one of those swinging doors would close and cover this arm here at the shoulder. And the other image at the bottom of Jesus being laid on the, on the, in the tomb on the stone would, would close and it would cover his legs from the knees down. Are you getting the visual? Okay. So these, these worshipers who were carried in, missing arms and legs, would look up and see Jesus without an arm and see Jesus without legs. The point there is not that Jesus literally had amputations, but that Jesus knows the suffering they're going through. There is no suffering you can possibly fathom that Jesus does not understand. And so that's what they realize as they look up at this image and worship that Jesus, he gets it. He gets it. Throughout the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in this really famous line, and you remember this, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you. You have heard that it was said, but I tell you. And I think that's what he's doing with the Beatitudes. You have heard that it was said, this is what it means to be blessed. But I tell you, these are those who are blessed. You've heard that it was said it's the powerful that are blessed. You've heard that it was said the rich who are blessed. You've heard that it was said those who never grieve, who are untouched by loss, who are blessed. But I tell you, it's those without power. It's those who make peace. It's those who grieve. It's those who are blessed. It is those who, like me, 
dive deeply into the holes of suffering that are blessed. It's those who begin to look a little like me in every way, including, and most of all, in my suffering, it's you all that are blessed. And that's just the way things are. It's as though he's saying that it's, it's not the new cars or the trips in retirement or the new babies that are the blessings, right? That it is the longings, that it is the empty spaces, that it's the wounds in our life, that those are the blessings. And it's so much harder to take a picture of one of those. But you know when you have them, and you know when you're in them, and you know when you are so deep in them that you can't possibly see out. And Jesus says, now you're blessed. Now you are squarely inside the kingdom of heaven. What do you think about that? I notice, Breeshan, that nobody's clapping. I got a card the other day <clears throat> from a family at Highland. Uh, to say that they've gone through suffering would be a terrible understatement, unimaginable suffering. But she sent me a card the other day, Lindsay and I, in light of what's going on with our father-in-law. And she said this, and it's really stuck with me while I was working on this sermon. My prayer for you, specifically, she said, is to see God's many blessings in this storm. I believe that God shares many extra blessings during life's greatest storms. They can be easily missed or overlooked, but they're there. And I imagine she still has a lot of questions about what's happened in her life. But I think she understands the Beatitudes better than me. Peter says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that's come on you to test you as though something strange were happening. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory of God rests on you. You know, some translations, and this may be the case in your translation, and there in Matthew 5, read, happy are those who mourn, and happy are the persecuted, which is a terrible translation. But it does seem a lot more appealing than the kind of blessedness we're talking about this morning. You know, that's, that's the kind of happy new year you're hoping for. If I were to say blessed new year, you'd say, say that to somebody else. Right? That's a bit like getting told to break a leg before your recital. I don't want to break my leg. I just want to play piano, right? But Jesus is saying something here that I want you to leave with as you start this new year. Because here's the deal. As I look back on 2016, the life of this church, the life of this nation, the life of the world, right? So much suffering. And I can't help but expect that that'll be the case this year, that we will lose people sitting here, that we'll deal with sicknesses and trial, 
that there will be severe things that happen in our world, weather, terrorism, just like last night, right? That this seems to be this ongoing saga that the world is caught up in. I guess what I want you to remember is what Jesus says here in the Beatitudes, something strange and cosmic, something dealing with time in ways we don't fully understand. But what what he's saying is in that moment of our deepest suffering, that that suffering is linked inextricably to our victory in Christ Jesus, that we will not suffer anymore what the Lord God can resurrect and redeem and recover. And that though when we are in that moment, it is impossible for us to see to the other side, like this woman shared with me, it is in those moments we are more blessed than we could possibly know. And so no matter what this year brings for you, If you lose those few pounds, if you run that first marathon, if you mend bridges with your daughter, if you read through the Bible in a year, or if you get stopped at Leviticus, right? If you gain a few pounds, if you never walk again, you will be, we will be squarely, firmly within the blessing of God. His strength, will be made perfect in our weakness, his glories revealed in our suffering. And that is just the way things are, Jesus says. We are so blessed, but because Jesus has been blessed, not because of anything that happens in this life, we are blessed because the one who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed. Will you stand and sing with me if you have not taken on the Lord in baptism, I'd love to do that with you today. I'll be down here for a few moments, then I'll be in the back with some shepherds. If you'd like prayer, we'll have shepherds back there to receive you. Let's stand and Brishan and the praise team will lead us in singing. When peace like a river attendeth my ways, and when sorrow